listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. Today is an adventure in Lutheranism. You. It's part one of a few. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. The ambiguous. We don't know how many parts. Maybe three. At least two, maybe three. <laughs> we'll see where this goes. <laughs> Right. I'm open. Whatever. Rachel, this is your adventure. And the, uh, you've been putting in a lot of time researching this one. So what is this open-ended series on? <laughs> okay. So this is something that has been on my to-do list for at least two years, both here and over at the Lutheran Witness. And I'm pretty sure that Pastor Askins has given up the notion of me ever actually writing on this topic. for <laughs> But... I have not forgotten because it is something that I know very little about and I want to know more about. There's a reason I know very little about it, and that's because I've not ever been interested in it until recently. Let me explain. This makes sense. <laughs> no, there is too much. Let me sum up. It is the Altar Guild. Aha! Yes. So a couple of years ago, we put out this quiz called Which Lutheran Lady Are You? take this interactive quiz to find mm -hmm. out. It was this BuzzFeed-style quiz that would tell you whether you were more like me or you guys remember it, but me or Sarah or Aaron or Bree. What Lutheran lady are you? Yeah. And there bring was that back for a second. One and Bree, you featured caricatures of us and it was amazing. Yes. Oh, it was wonderful. There was one question that always stuck in my mind because the question was this. Your pastor has just put out a desperate call for volunteers. On which sign-up sheet does your name go? So, Sarah's answer was choir. Yep. Mm -hmm. Bree's answer was Sunday school. Yep. Yes. Aaron's answer was banner making task force. Ooh. Mm. Yeah. I BMT. love it. <laughs> and my answer was anything but altar mm. guilt. You counted my desk here. for emphasis yep. there. I was very clear. I will, choir's um, great. Sunday yeah, school okay. newsletter. <laughs> Even uh, church right. counsel in no, a pinch, no. though, please know. Breathing the spirit. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I had always said I'll do anything but altar guild. Like I told people this more than once. <laughs> Jonah. <Yeah. laughs> I am the Jonah of the altar guild community. <laughs> <laughs> so I always assumed, and I think rightly so, that altar guild is a wonderful ministry for people who like Fancy table settings, doing dishes, and ironing things for recreation. Mm. It um, does involve a lot of ironing. <laughs> Recreational ironing. <laughs> and if you know okay. me at all, you will know that I am not that person. Mm. I don't. It does involve flowers too, though. I like, but no flower <laughs> arranging. It's like the once you get into the whole Martha Stewart mm -hmm. thing, I'm just not there yeah. anymore. No, like I'll grow weird. the flowers, but somebody else that's is going to have to put them in the vase. Mm -hmm. And yet, okay, you know why I need to learn more about Alter Guild and maybe do something? It's because I love church. Mm. And I love word and sacrament churches. Mm -hmm. And I love communion as often as I can get it. Mm -hmm. And that means Alter Guild. It does. It yep. does. We had a recent conversation in our adult Bible class where somebody, we were talking about going back over the small catechism as a class, which is a wonderful experience, by the way. And we're talking, uh, somehow it came up weekly communion. And mm. we have weekly communion, but not at every service. And people were asking, mm. why not? And someone said, why can't we have 
at every service. And then someone else said, if you want it at every service, you're good to join the altar guild. Mm-hmm. Oh. Called yeah, out. I feel personally attacked <laughs> by this relatable content. Yeah. Here in New England, they don't mince words. It's wonderful. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. So, yes, even though I have been altar guild resistant for my entire life, this is the beginning. This episode is the beginning of an odyssey to try and find out more about it and to mm-hmm. judge whether it is perhaps at some point a way that I can serve the church and help make things like weekly communion more feasible. I'm just going to pause here yeah, yeah, yeah. and just commend you on this undertaking because to go from anything but altar guild like two years later to like throwing yourself full bore into this project yeah. like i have to commend yeah. you on that like yeah. that's very admirable well i haven't jo- joined the altar guild yet and i don't know for sure yeah. if i will but i am looking but into the willingness it is there yes. like the willingness to to be more adjacent to it is there mm-hmm. and i appreciate that mm-hmm. i i yeah. don't want to be ignorant or ungrateful mm. because as we're going to discuss later this is this is not to work that uh there's a whole lot of, and people don't throw confetti for the altar guild. Mm-mm. True. Of course, if they did, no. the altar guild would probably have to pick up the confetti. That's true. Yep. Also true. <laughs> they don't want your confetti. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> so, asking a few, I, I started this episode. This this episode is simply to sort of dip my toe in the water, and so I started asking some questions. The first and foremost of these is, what does the altar guild do? It's mm. a fabulous question. It really is. And the answer, the short answer is a lot. Mm-hmm. The long answer I will give to you from the Altar Guild Manual, Lutheran Service Book Edition, written by Lee A. Maxwell, available from CPH. Nice. He writes, the Altar Guild is to serve. It serves by making sure that the place of worship is maintained and set up for the times and seasons of the church year. It serves by seeing to it that the paraments and linens are put out, cleaned, and stored appropriately. It serves by setting in order, cleaning, and putting away the sacramental vessels and linens. It serves by caring for the vestments of the congregation. It serves by making certain that all the preparations are made for each service and that whatever needs to be done after the service is taken care of. It serves by ordering supplies. It serves by studying topics related to worship and by undertaking projects, such as making pyramids and vestments. All this is done not for themselves, but for the glory of God and the building up of his people. That's a lot. That is broad. It is very yeah. broad. <laughs> Oh, but that's, that's not lot. all. That's not all. Oh, oh. oh okay. wait, there's more. Yes. Uh-huh. It goes on to say that the one special requirement for serving on the altar guild is spiritual commitment. Mm-hmm. Because you are not just washing dishes and ironing. You are de- mm-hmm. doing these things for the Lord and for the people of God. So it yep. is spiritual yep. work. And then finally, he says, the work of the altar guild has a spiritual goal. It is for the glory of God's name and the building up of his people. So this is serious it's stuff. Serious. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. But it is serious stuff. Yeah. So then of course I had to do some digging and try and find the history of the altar guild because 
you got to know. Right. Yeah. It didn't appear out of thin air. It right. Except it kind of did. Um, <laughs> Whoops. Okay. No, I've got more. This is just the, the initial phase. I've got more research that I need to do because I have too many unanswered questions so far because there isn't a lot known. We know a lot about the forward-facing side of the worship service throughout mm-hmm. history, mm-hmm. you know, who preaches and teaches and how they, uh, you know, administer the sacraments and all of that. But what goes on beyond behind the scenes is oh, not yeah. necessarily that obvious. Going way back, it seems to me that throughout much of the early church in the Middle Ages, the actual handling of communion elements and preparation in that was done by priests and sacristans, and that nuns had a lot to do with the paraments in the medieval age. They spent a lot of time sewing, sewing and praying. Mm-hmm. Today, I found out that there are certain orders of cloistered nuns in the Roman Catholic Church that specialize in baking altar bread for communion. So that was pretty nice. cool. Uh, yeah. That is, that is cool. Yeah. That is cool. We see in scripture certain references both to men and to women. So in passages like Mark 15, you see references to women who followed Jesus and ministered to him, presumably mm-hmm. by, I don't know, well, I guess the first century equivalent of washing his socks and making sure that he had food to eat at the end of the day. Slaundering mm-hmm. vestments right there. Right. Yeah. 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 And then, of course, famously in Acts 6, Luke describes the appointing of Stephen and six other deacons so that the apostles don't have to trouble themselves with distributing bread, but uh, simply to focus on teaching and prayer. And so this, the altar guild, as we have it, sort of combines both of these ideas that you are doing the behind-the-scenes chores to minister Mm -hmm. to the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you are doing those chores, and I I use the word chores because it's the only really appropriate word, doing those chores that will free the pastor up to focus on teaching, leading worship, not having to worry about washing up after communion, Mm -hmm. and various other chores that are are rather uh, incidental to his work otherwise. And there are churches that don't have altar guilds, and in those often very small churches, the pastor does have to do it all. But I think it's better if he can be free, just as the apostles were in Acts, to focus on the word of God in prayer. And that's a good thing. Do we think that altar guild tasks even harken back to like Old Testament Levitical yes. like designations? And I'll get to that in a minute. Okay, sorry. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, there is there is an Old Testament connection to this, too. Yet, you know, as I mentioned, like so many other of the more humble, less visible parts of church history, there aren't a lot of details that seem to bleed through the records. I would like to do a more exhaustive search, but I did dip into my, I would say my, no, my husband's Oxford History of Christian Worship Ooh. and found a lot on the front-facing part of the service and very little on the behind-the-scenes stuff. It happens. Somebody does it. And in our churches, at least, that is the altar guilt. When you talked about nuns and working with the paraments, my brain started smoking a little because I remembered something from a previous podcast. And it was Elizabeth Krusiger, uh-huh. who was in the Abbey of the Premonstratarians. 
Primontratensians, sorry. And they were the ones that took care of the pyramids outside of their cloister. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that that part of it is very much has has long been handled by women. Yeah. Which sorry, leads us to a broader <laughs> question. Is this necessarily women's work? Mm. Mm. That's a great question, too. I believe there was actually a, a conversation just a little while ago in a Facebook group that I'm not part of, but here's things from every once in a while that was asking just this question, that should women be involved in this work, particularly as it regards communion elements? And is that not better done by a pastor or at least by a male? Hmm. So the answer I would have to that, again, it's not authoritative, but in the LCMS, yes, this is mm-hmm. and has been women's work. I have a completely falling apart, coming out of the binding edition of the book before the Altar Guild Manual I just referenced earlier. This is the 1964 edition of What an Altar Guild Should Know by nice. Paul H.D. Lang. It's a treasure. Hmm. And it's also unambiguous. There is only one set of singular pronouns used in this book, and it is the ladies of the Altar Guild on many yeah. occasions. Um, okay. <laughs> There you go. That answers that question. (laughs) Yeah. So at least as of 1964, it was considered women's work and only women's work. Very godly women's work. It was very highly esteemed, at least by Paul H.D. Lang, that he saw this as a very important, vital, spiritually meaningful act of service and ministry in the church. And so to sort of prove this point, there's this one, I promised you this. Old Testament reference, but he has this yes. paragraph at the end of the first chapter called Wise-Hearted Women. Hmm. He writes this, If these purposes of the altar guild and the principles concerning the externals of the church are clearly understood and properly carried out, the members of the guild will render a great service to the Lord and the congregation. They are successors of the wise-hearted women who helped furnish the tabernacle of God in the wilderness. Of them it is written, All the women that were wise-hearted did spin with their hands and brought that which they had spun, both of blue and of purple and of scarlet and of fine linen. Exodus 35.25 They are the followers of Mary, Martha, Salome, and other women who ministered to our Lord and his disciples. They are the pastor's assistants who relieve him of certain work in the chancel which they can do so that he can devote himself to other important matters. Their service is a beautiful and blessed one, a labor of love in the church. Mm. And I thought that was really beautiful. That is Mm -hmm. gorgeous. So I hope that answers that question. An argument could be made from history, I suppose, for having the pastor or a sacristan, that is to say, someone who is ordained or sort of halfway to being ordained, handle the consecrated elements. And I remember... When Ken was at seminary, the work of the altar guild was handled by an appointed sacristan, usually a fourth-year seminary student. But then, of course, in that time and place, women were pretty scarce, and fourth-year seminary mm. students were a dime a dozen. Right. This was not an ordained position, but it was it was seen as a very special position. In most congregations, fourth-year seminary students are pretty scarce. <laughs> And women with willing hearts are not scarce. And so that's usually how it happens. But as that 1996 Altar Guild manual is quick to point out, 
men can serve on the altar. There's no reason not to. Hang on just a second. Let me see if I can find this quote. It's not, it's not women's work. No. That part is a tradition. Mm-hmm. Like It's traditionally been done by women in our church. Yeah. But it's not like the office of the pastor where it must be done by by a man sort of thing. Right. So it's not, it must be done by a woman, can't be done by a man, but traditionally it's been done by women. Yes. Here we go. I found the quote from Lee Maxwell. It was mentioned in the previous chapter that in most Lutheran congregations today, only women serve on the altar guild, and that in earlier times in the church, the services rendered by what we today call the altar guild were done by men. There is no reason, however, that women and men of various ages cannot serve together on the altar guild. In fact, participation by men and boys should be encouraged. First, the work done by this guild cannot be classified as women's work. Second, the work of the guild in assisting the worship of the congregation is an appropriate avenue of service for any of the priesthood of the baptized, be they male or female. So that is sort of the latest word on the subject. And in my church, I believe some of the members of the altar guild are married couples, which Mm -hmm. is really cool that you can serve the church together in that capacity. For a really long time, I had only seen women do altar guild. And so when we got to a church where men were also on altar guild, it was actually a little weird Mm -hmm. for a little while of like, oh, yeah, I guess guys also can do this. I I had just never seen it before. It was really interesting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And now my husband does it with me. So (laughs) So the altar guild, to sum up before we get into our broader conversation, it is important work. It is beautiful work. It is godly work. And it is service in the kingdom. Absolutely. And yet, I am still reluctant to join. Hmm. <laughs> and I think True. for good reason. I have a list here. Hey. Ooh. Of, it was, oh. it started out yes. as, as top. <laughs> you have a list. <laughs> of course I have a list. It started out as top five reasons why I am reluctant to join the Elder Guild. And oh, it has now grown. Loon to Nine. It oh, might be longer oh, later on. Oh, <laughs> okay, here are the reasons why I'm reluctant to join the Altar Guild. And also, I guess on the positive side, these are the reasons why I have crazy mad respect for the people who do serve on the Altar Guild. So, it's a both and. Mm-hmm. Reason number one, extra time. Like, these are the people who come in on Saturdays to set up. These are the people who come in every time the season changes to change the paraments. They're the people who stay after to tidy up after the service. Mm-hmm. You might miss coffee hour because you're mm. on the altar guild. Need that donut though. Yeah. So yes, the time. Reason number two, washing dishes. Mm. <laughs> Actually, this just grew by yeah. one. <laughs> Coming up with- I really Live don't. updates, everyone. Up Live to updates. Ten. Up to True. Ten. <laughs> Up to 10. All right. Yes. Reason number two, washing dishes. Mm. I've never liked washing dishes. I mm-hmm. After I was first married, I had this crazy idea that maybe I would do all the chores, except my husband would wash, wash the dishes. Mm. And that, that it, algorithm is not quite planned out. <laughs> he does a lot of chores, mm. but I wash a lot of dishes. So... Mm. And this is very specific dishwashing. Like you have to pay attention to where the water is going because right. you're handling elements. So like this isn't just like throwing stuff in a sink and washing it. This is holy dishwashing. Yes. Mm. <laughs> Especially if you don't have one of those sinks that goes directly into the ground. Like you have to 
collect all the water and then take mm. it out. Oh like it's a gosh. whole thing. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so dishes, but like expert level dishes. Level. You actually mm-hmm. have to think about it. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's not mindless dishwashing like no. after dinner. Mm-hmm. There isn't a way to just sort of pop all the individual cups into a dishwasher somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Okay. Number three, polishing stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't polish stuff in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't tend to own things that have to be polished. And mm-hmm. for the one or two or three silver things we have that need polishing or bronze or whatever, I usually say, oh, it looks nice with that wonderful aged patina. That's yes. great. Yes. I love a good patina. Mm-hmm. Doesn't fly in the church, though. No. Nope. No, no, no. no. Nobody wants <laughs> a patina on their chalice. Mm-mm. No. All right. Number four, ironing. Mm. I do. It's the worst. I, I, I don't iron. I, I iron like Easter and job interviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Otherwise, I just try to get out of the dryer really quickly and get it on a hanger. Correct. Yep. Mm-hmm. But in ultrasound, not an option. You're getting out that ironing board. (laughs) Ease out those wrinkles. I'm just going to get real sweaty in this dress. (laughs) Keeping it wrinkle-free. Yeah, not sure that works for paraments. It will not wear out. Thankfully, paraments are like flat and Mm, one single sheet. That's true. In theory, it's less complicated uh, wrinkling, ironing, but yes. As opposed to a chasuble, which you start ironing and you keep moving it around and you're like, does this never end? No, it does not. By the time you you get through those yards and yards of fabric, you're just like having to start over again. Yep. 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 Okay, that's reason number four. Reason Mm. number five, expert level laundry. Oh, yes. Mm. Like we've had in our in our Lutheran Ladies Lounge Facebook discussion group, and I love these, but frequently questions about how do you get red wine out of fill-in-the-blank fabric? Mm-hmm. Or how do you get candle wax off of mm-hmm. very expensive fill-in-the-blank fabric? Mm-hmm. And of course, there's always wonderful feedback on all these laundry life hacks that come in, and yet the whole thing is very intimidating to me. I pull stuff out of the dryer all the time. It still has the stain right where I left it. Billy Mays is yeah. turning in his grave right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is not like I, I do my best, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's intimidating laundry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Reason six, I understand certain jobs in certain churches involve white gloves. To that, I just say, yep. what? Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. It goes a, a hand in hand with the polishing. Oh, something you have to polish. You probably have to wear gloves when you handle it. Okay. Mm-hmm. My experience anyway. Right. Thankfully, those were flower vases at one church. So it wasn't like the chalice or anything, but oh, yes. Only time I wear white gloves gloves is when playing handbells. Are there Mm -hmm. handbells? No, those need polishing too, though. That is true. (laughs) I know. Still. White gloves are scary. Anything that requires white gloves. Like, I'm just feeling like I'm in the some library in Oxford or something, Mm. you know, and it's (laughs) like. world. Yeah. Oh. True though. Uh, True. Wait, also scary. Mickey Mouse. Oh, your favorite cartoon not character. Not a Disney person right here. Wearing white gloves. <laughs> mm-hmm. That went way over my head. Okay. Is Mickey Mouse it. on the altar guild, you guys? Whoa, mm-hmm. that's a that's a conspiracy theory. We Is don't want to start or do. Wow. Maybe that's how we <gasps> met Minnie because she wears the gloves too. She does. 
It's true. Fan <laughs> fiction. Donald Duck wears white gloves, but doesn't wear pants. So oh, I, mm, you need to I don't wear know about pants. him. If you're doing Ultra Guild, you need you to should wear pants. pants. Yeah, it's like a thing to do. Know. Right. Have yeah. some decorum, Glad Donald. Glad your lower body. Google that, Donnie. Uh-huh. <laughs> Jeez, Louise! This is not a no pants party. Right. No, put your pants on, Donald. <laughs> Actually, but do you know? Do you know? Sorry, can we start that sentence over again? <laughs> <laughs> this is going somewhere. Not sure where, but it is. <laughs> One part of the this harkens back to our wild card episode from a while ago. One part of Alter Guild attire that used to be in the 1960s. Part of it, definitely was head covering. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's mentioned right out in the uh, 1964 what so an altar guild should not item in favor. Yeah, so mm. if hats are if hats were at one point required, they obviously aren't now. Pants are absolutely or skirts, something. <laughs> Uh-huh. Something yeah. on the lower body is definitely yeah. required. And top body full also. Body yeah. Full, full, full body clothes, guys. Full body clad. Full, no full. shoes, no shirt, no sacrament. Whoa. Sacristy. No sacristy. No there we go. Cut that out later. Yeah. No shoes, no <laughs> shirt. All right. No so that's number six. White gloves are scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> number seven. There is a lot to remember. Mm-hmm. So mm. many details. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, what's a purificator? Mm-hmm. What it, What even is a purificator? Yeah, true. It's the holy napkin. The whole and everything has names. Mm-hmm. There's like new yes. vocabulary, new language you have to learn, new mm-hmm. procedures. Like it's ten steps for everything, and everything has to go in order. Mm-hmm. And oh, a lot of details. Ciborium. That's my favorite one. Ciborium. Ciborium. Mm-hmm. Patten. Wow. Chalice. Yeah. <laughs> Which brings me to number eight. There's a lot of pressure because you yes, aren't just yes. that. You aren't just memorizing vocabulary, you know, to like appear on Jeopardy or something. This is for the service of God and his mm-hmm. church. And it needs to be done well and right. Mm-hmm. Like you've actually mm-hmm. got to not just make a passing attempt at that red wine stain on the white cloth you've got to actually literally get it out mm-hmm. yep yeah when i started altar guild several years ago and was a newbie and we were responsible for swapping stuff in between services for the however many weeks we were on altar guild i definitely had anxiety attacks every sunday during late service oh, like wow. did i do it right does it look right did i put enough wine in are they going to run out? Do I have to go back and fix them? Oh, it was bad. Wow. Thankfully, not anymore. Yeah. Well, and that just that like, makes yikes. <laughs> that makes me wonder. And I guess maybe this is feedback that needs to come from our group and anybody who's involved in Alter Guild. Like, surely there's a measure of grace in oh, this, yes. right? Absolutely. Like, but I, you know, I have no my one. super high standards. Say, there's the grace that oh. other people offer you, and then there's the grace that you fail to offer uh-huh. yourself. Uh-huh. Yep, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> It was totally fine every Sunday, but without fail. Yes. <laughs> Panic is real. Mm. So reason number nine, reason number eight is a big one. Like that's a huge one. Anxiety mm-hmm. is real. Reason number nine, it can be very lonely work. Mm. Like mm. you're often there at church when nobody else is there. And if you don't have a partner, and often altar guilds do work in partners probably for this reason. Mm-hmm. But it would be very lonely. I think of church as a place where I go to fellowship and be mm-hmm. with people. But being on the altar guild, as previously mentioned, means that you give up some time that would otherwise be prime fellowshipping time. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. to engage in private oh, service. Yeah. And then finally, number 10, and I'm rather ashamed to admit that this is one reason why I'm reluctant to join Ultra Guild. There is zero glory. Mm, yep. Like, aside from the fact that maybe your name gets on the calendar in the newsletter saying, you're on this week, nobody mm-hmm. notices. It just happens. Like, it has to be perfect, and you get mm-hmm. zero credit for it. Yep. And the human side of me doesn't like that. Mm-hmm. It is humble work. It is behind-the-scenes yeah. work. It is often thankless work, and it is essential work. And yet, at the same time, those of us who are not on the altar guild who still expect to receive the sacrament right. every week <laughs> and for things to go as smoothly as possible, like surely we owe it to our fellow Christians who are on the altar guild for making all of that possible. Cause you're right. It is a, it generally is a thankless task I can imagine. Mm-hmm. And there's little payoff before you have to get everything ready for the next Sunday. Right. So I guess I am going to try to be a little more thankful for Mm -hmm. the people in my church who do that undertaking of, of altar guild. And it would invite the rest of you to do the same. Mm -hmm. And it is, it is, it is, dare I say sacred work. Oh yeah. Absolutely. That is of course, one of the main reasons for doing this subject, tackling the subject on the show and doing it in multi parts so that we can maybe shine a little light on ladies and also some men who are serving selflessly in this capacity week after week after week, missing out on donut time, trying very hard to get red wine out of white napkins, and yeah, getting all the details perfectly so that the pastor doesn't have to worry about it and that the church can participate fully in word and sacrament worship all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. So as the first step to learning more about this subject, I want to ask each of you, do you have experience with Alter Guild? What do, you, what do you do in your churches? What do you know about it? Well, I have experience on Alter Guild, so I guess I can go first. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of got, got the gist of that. experience. <laughs> You've been so, bursting the whole episode. Sending order. I know. So I've always been really curious about Alter Guild when I was growing up. I always like want, I never, I'm not sure I ever went into the sacristy at my childhood church. Maybe a few times. I think, I don't know, it's kind of interesting. It was, it was like this, this holy place that I, I was like, I don't know if I should go in here because I'm a child mm-hmm. and I don't know what's happening. So I never really went into it. I love baby Sarah's Ma- stories. <laughs> so much anxiety, guys. Um, <laughs> I mean, I probably went in a few times, but like I, was, I wasn't on the altar guild. I moved away when I was 18 to go to college. So it was never really a thing, but I was always kind of fascinated by all of the different parts of the communion part of the service and all the different, you know, the all the different pyramids and the different pieces that go into it and like how it gets set up and what the practice is. So when we, when I got married, we joined our church in Chicago and I think pretty quickly I joined the altar guild. I think they were kind of desperate for people as altar guilds generally <laughs> really? are. You don't yes. say. Given everything we've talked about, they're desperate that for members. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't know. I don't really remember how it happened, but we ended up on altar guild. I think I was technically on it by myself with a different person as a partner, but because I was married, Luther generally came with me to do a lot of the stuff anyway, or to just help me out so we could leave quicker. Mm. <laughs> Speaking of time. That's um, fair. So that was my first experience with it. I, I, we were there for several years. 
it was definitely a learning curve. We literally had a binder of procedures of, of what you do, like pictures laid out of how you set up the altar, depending on the service and where consecrated elements go, if you have them left over, because at that church, we had a tabernacle. So at the end of the service, if we had extra consecrated elements, no, extra consecrated wafers, we would put them into the tabernacle and they get reused. That's not a practice that a lot of churches do, I don't think. But like, there's all these very particular practices depending on what church you're at. Like there's some generalities of like in general, how you handle consecrated versus unconsecrated elements. But like every church has their little quirks Mm -hmm. of where you put them and who gets to consume them or if you consume them. So that was fun. And that was the first place I also got to help with the stripping of the altar for Monday, Thursday, which was very cool to help with that. Just like running around, not literally running, but it felt like we were running around the altar. That's like the one day when the altar guild is front and center. If you have that ceremony. At my current church, the altar guild doesn't do the stripping of the altar. It's the seminarians and the pastor that do it all. So that's mm-hmm. a different practice currently. But we also have several seminarians so and a very small chancel area. So then when we moved to St. Louis, I was immediately like, sure, I'll join altar guild. And this time Luther and I were together as mm. a pair. We don't do any of the setup anymore. We're late service. We, we started as late service people. So we're the ones that take everything down after second service. And so I'm the one that handles the laundry of the purificators and the washing of all of the individual cups and all of the the detailed stuff on the back end of like how you actually handle everything after the service. Hmm. So that's been, it's good. You're right. It is very behind the scenes work and our pastor is wonderful. And he always thanks us profusely for like doing this work so he doesn't have to. But I kind of, I like the fact that it's kind of behind the scenes and there's there's just like people just don't really know that it happens, but like you know that it's happening. You're an introvert, like, aren't you? Yes. What? Perfect. <laughs> I just I just think there's something really cool about being one of the people that gets to make sure that communion happens every week and that stuff is set the way it's supposed to be and prepared the mm-hmm. way it's supposed mm-hmm. to be. Like it's just a very it's a, I don't know, cool. I keep saying cool, but like it's just a very unique way to serve. Mm-hmm in the church that isn't front and center that you're able to use your gifts, I suppose, in in a way that's, it's not something you want the, you don't want the spotlight on you for something like this. Certainly (laughs) like, you know what I mean? I do not want the spotlight. (laughs) (laughs) But like, you're right about all of the details that you have to learn. I've learned, I think this was totally by accident, but like I learned one day, if you just put the purificator while it's still damp with the wine in a plastic bag with cold water, in a few hours, there are no more stains. They just disappear. And you just dump that water out outside and wash the purificators wow. on their own. Mm-hmm. And they're good to go. Like it's, it, it seems very complicated, but if you do it in a certain way, it's not actually that complicated. So like there are tricks to the trade of like doing all of these things. But I like, I like serving on all You know what I would love to see? Hmm. A website called sacropedia.com that sh- <laughs> like shares all the secrets and tricks of the trade to like mm. launder things. Because mm. this is, I, I love the reverence with which yeah. talk yeah. about these things. Like those wine stains on the purificator, they're not just any old wine from a cocktail party. Yep. This is no yep. sacramental wine 
mm-hmm. the blood of Christ. Like you can't just like and rinse it out and in the sink and just wring it out. Right? Yeah, receive yeah. respect. And and I think that's something that comes through in all the altar guild manuals and materials that you find is this sense of reverence and mm-hmm. the spiritual meaning for what you do. It's not just laundry. It's not just dishes. Yeah, it's sacred stuff. Mm-hmm. And I have mm-hmm. a story from, okay, so we were at National Youth Gathering last year in Minneapolis mm-hmm. and I got tagged to do Altar Guild for a youth gathering. Whoa. And let me tell you, so normally it's in a football stadium and it's a little bit different because there's like stuff is a little bit more compact. This time it was in a baseball stadium. And so the Altar Guild stuff was way up like box level. So we've got pastor. First of all, we had to like put all the elements out along like the mezzanine level or whatever. So we're just like hauling jugs of alcohol around the stadium, setting it up and like making sure there's a chalice. We Um, call that wine here. Sorry. Calling jugs of alcohol. (laughs) Jugs of alcohol. (laughs) It was wine. (laughs) It makes it sound like you got vodka. It it was It's both. It wasn't (laughs) It wasn't consecrated yet, so. <laughs> but then afterward, the process. Okay, so there's twenty thousand people, like communion for twenty thousand people mm-hmm. in a baseball stadium, and so afterward, there's a group of us that are doing altar guild, and you've got pastors coming in with like chalices and bottles of wine that may or may not be consecrated, and all of these hosts that may or may not be consecrated and just the behind the scenes action of figuring out what goes where, what needs to get dumped outside on the ground somewhere, what it needs to be consumed, what is unconsecrated. Like it was a quartermaster. We had a quarter. Like you did. It was an an insane, but also really cool experience Mm. to be able to be part of that team that was like making sure that, I mean, it was hundreds hundreds of hosts of mm-hmm. consecrated hosts that had to be dealt with in a reverent manner and like yep. literal mm. buckets of wine consecrated wine that had to be dealt with in mm. a reverent manner it's just really cool to be part of of that part of the youth gathering yeah well we talk about how cool it is to take communion with that many people yeah, that's yeah. routinely one of the things that everyone yeah. who attends that especially the yeah. young people come away that was so cool right, right. to commune mm-hmm. in are that also way people- there are people that have to take care of all of those elements yeah, right. too. So I had right. never thought about it's, either. It's wild to me. This is, I think this is one of those situations where like we're in the 21st century and we're like, this is a collision of like modern day society, mm. but still like, like how do we serve Ancient communion traditions. in a baseball, in a baseball stadium yeah. or like, I've talked to people in the Roman Catholic Church, for example, where, I mean, they obviously have a different take, but like in Catholic hospitals, how do you store the wine and and oh, et cetera? Yeah. And just like, how do you, you have to be strategic about it because, mm-hmm. you know, you're in sort of this modern world, but you are, you're bringing these ancient practices in and you have to do it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's efficient, but like you also... Like you don't lose the reverence just because we're in a modern age. Right. Like yeah. there is still that that aspect of slowing down and making mm-hmm. sure you do it right and, and like being aware of what you're doing and the reality of what you're handling mm-hmm. and treating it. Like we don't do that a lot of times with a lot of things now. Right. Yeah. Like we just kind of fly through doing stuff, but you have to pay attention when you're doing altar guild because it's important. Like right. if we believe what we confess in our confessions. Mm-hmm. This is a very important thing. Yep. Okay, I'm done. (laughs) 
I love that for you. I'm so happy. <laughs> and I have a bag of purificators on my table right now that needs to be washed. <laughs> I just have to run them through our washer and then iron them. Mm. And then more ironing. Mm-hmm. Bless you just for that work. I don't actually own an iron. I have to go to church and do ironing. Okay, so wait. <laughs> is, so let me ask you this real quick. I'm sorry I'm detouring it a little bit, but what is a purificator? Oh, so when you drink from the chalice, the purificator is the thing that they wipe the edge of the chalice oh. with. And some, so, isn't it true that some pastors like dip it in like some sort of hard alcohol to like yeah, sanitize? Everclear? Yeah, I remember during the pandemic, a pastor complaining yes. that because all the liquor stores were shut down, he had to go across state lines to get the Everclear he needed mm. to serve communion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like <laughs> if it matters where the water goes when you're washing the dishes, does it matter where the water goes when you're laundering a yeah. textile? Yeah, or do, like, or do you make? Do you but make? That's why you soak them. Yeah, and so basically, you, you cleanse soak them, them first, and then you're laundering them just for. Got yeah. it. Okay. There okay. is. I feel like, at least from what I've been taught, there is also some grace in the fact that, like, you're never going to get every yeah. single molecule, yeah. sure, sure, of the wine out of the cloth before you launder it. So right. there's some of the like intention behind it of yeah. like I'm not just throwing it in with my underwear in the laundry. Like right. you don't do that. Yeah. Like you soak it, you get as much out as you can, like reasonably, Mm -hmm. and then wash it like Mm -hmm. separately with. I guess the reason behind that is because it's more reverent to have consecrated wine go directly into the ground rather than into the sewer system. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's probably a whole nother conversation. (laughs) Yeah. Well, like I said, we're just getting started on this. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, and it was interesting when we, sorry, I guess I'm not done. When we, <laughs> yeah. when we got to St. Louis and we joined Alter Guild, just a, f- what, a couple years after, we ended up with a vacancy pastor. So we had, when we joined, we had one way of doing things. And then we had our vacancy pastor and he did things differently. Mm. So we changed how we did them. And we're only on Alter Guild once a year. So like we, we went from our previous pastor to a vacancy pastor to a new pastor. So like for three years, every time we get to Alter Guild, like there's a different way of setting it up and oh, like wow. different ways of doing yeah. things. So every yeah. time it comes wow. around, we're like, okay, what's different this year? Wow. <laughs> it's fine though. Hmm. I love it. I love doing That's it. That's good. And you get to like see the the vestments in the closet and like look at them closely without being a weirdo of like looking at them closely on your pastor. You can just mm. like admire the beauty of them. I don't know. I'm weird. Okay. I, uh, Why are you staring at me? That's weird. I understand. Although right now all of Ken's stoles are in my closet, so I don't have to join the altar guild to admire. That's the fair. I'm order. Fair. I walk into your closet one day, you're going to be smelling them and I'm going to be like, what are you doing in here? <laughs> Possibles are just so pretty. Yeah. And you know, True. when you're sitting in a pew, you can't necessarily see it. how pretty they are. Their beauty. Yeah. These magical ponchos. They're beautiful. Mm-hmm. Love it. I love pyramids. All right. Sarah, more from you later because we're just starting our research project. But Aaron and Bree, either of you have close encounters of the Alter Guild kind? <laughs> yeah. So I'm a member of a band called Alter Guild. I love um, it. <laughs> so that's one and it is an intentional <laughs> play on words because well, your last name is alter i'm alter the other key member is last name is gill and- <laughs> i love it so yeah as soon as we realized that we're like well now we can't have any that's other divine names. providence um, right there guys and and we do play periodically we, pre- we prepare songs for worship but my, my the closest experience i have with alter guild 
is I have helped several years with Maundy Thursday's stripping of the altar mm. that we end up usually having a number of a number of people, including men in that case, often because there's heavier items that yes. have to get mm-hmm. yeah. um, And so that one, there's a, a group of people that assist with yeah. that. At my church during, it seemed, I'm sure it was coming for a long time, but a lot of the ladies who had done altar guild for years had gotten older and older. And during COVID times, they were also the ones that were not able to come as much or you know, various reasons. But anyway, we found ourselves with a real need to add supplement the altar guild population with new blood to carry on the tradition so that, you know, people would know it and not not have to rely only on, you know, a few members who have Mm -hmm. done it forever. And then there's no other knowledge passed down generationally. So we have during the last couple of years started to have we did some deliberate recruitment and they've also involved some of the some of the kids oh, that's um, cool. to have them sort of shadow along and learn about helping with it. We had kids who were curious anyway. So like, yeah. sure, you have to you have to treat it reverently. But yes, you can you can assist with this. It's mostly mostly girls who have done it, who have been most curious. But there's been some of the boys as well who really help. Cool. And it's mostly with the cleanup after the yeah. service is yeah. when they've been involved. But I really love the idea of it. Yeah. Again, with generational learning as you go, uh, these are traditions that it does help to to pass along that knowledge. And this is the sort of thing that's you learn by doing. Like yep. there is, there's books written about it, but honestly, a whole lot of it is more of the learning by doing, learning the practice of it, mm-hmm. learning the whys as you go. Yeah. So... Yeah. That is really cool. Get those kids involved. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Me now, Mm -hmm. I guess. I have 0% experience (laughs) and and adjacency, basically, (laughs) to all the world. I'm not sure it would be something I'm ever interested in getting involved in for many of the reasons, Rachel, that you stated. And I'm okay with that. But I do think... There is like an air of mystery about it that I find fascinating. Even the and name like said, is cool. Alter Guild. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> we should have patches. But even then, like, it's something that I have high esteem for the people who do it because it it is such a, it plays such a critical role in the life of the church. Mm-hmm. But people don't get a whole lot of accolades for it. Like, you know, the choir might or mm-hmm. Yeah. some other ministry at the church. Cause I, I truly think it is, it is a ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, you're literally helping facilitate worship. So yeah, I, I have really no experience with it whatsoever, but I definitely respect it and am thankful for the people who dedicate themselves to the practice. Which is a good place for me to, I, I think say that one of my goals is to discern through this research project, whether actually not only whether i want to join alter guild but whether mm-hmm. alter guild wants me to join it um <laughs> true there's this wonderful segment in chapter three of the 1964 lang what an alter guild needs to know that i think is very telling here he writes since the women who serve on the alter guild deal with things sacred and divine 
It is desirable to select only such women as are devout Christians and have time and talent to volunteer for the work. Skipping a bit. Some phases of altar guild work require special skills, such as sewing and needlecraft. Therefore, membership may preferably be by invitation. It is better <laughs> to select individuals according to their personal qualifications rather than on the basis of age or willingness to help. If it is necessary to ask for volunteers, be assured that willing workers will grow in aptitude and appreciation by their in-service training. Skipping a bit more. If someone wants to join, even though she has not been formally invited, she may be given the privilege of membership and assigned the kind of work she is qualified to do. That's me, wow. basically, also. <laughs> wow! In other words, dear ladies, you are not all gifted for this particular work. We all have different spiritual gifts, it's true. If you I really mean, want to serve, they'll find something that is the yeah, kind of work you are qualified to do. I mean, I think there's also, though, an element of, let's to speak very practically, supply and demand, mm -hmm. economics. And sometimes if you have many, many options, then you can indeed. It's good to be selective, but sometimes it's good to have communion. <laughs> and so, and people who are willing to actually do the job. Uh, yes. Sometimes uh, a warm so body is okay. True. I mean, a warm, willing body. Warm, willing like, body, yes. You know, yeah, like, part of me thinks about the fact that in the 1965 book, that quite honestly was close to the time of the, the peak of the LCMS mm -hmm. population. Yeah. They were much larger. Granted, they probably needed more Altar Guild members to manage larger communions and that sort of thing. Yeah. But at the same time, it's good to be selective, but it's also good to... It's also if possible that maybe supply wasn't an issue yeah. back in it, those that, times. Right, yeah. exactly. That's what, sort of what I mean by, yeah. you know, maybe anyway. I feel don't like let this be something that dissuades you, lady, by ladies, by you know, self-selecting yourselves out by thinking uh, you don't have the sewing skills that are needed. We don't. We don't do a lot of sewing these days in Alter Guild. I can't yeah, I was gonna button. say I don't. Do I that. feel like Alter Guild is. <laughs> A lot more about handling elements and changing pyramids. Uh -huh. I mean, because you mentioned like making pyramids. Uh -huh. I, I don't. Mm. Yeah, mm. not fairly all. <laughs> that, that, that doesn't seem like an Storm altar guild. pyramids are the thing these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like you, you might have mm -hmm. to mend, like especially if you're the head of the altar guild, you sure. might need to be able to do the mending and, and the special washing. Like the head of our altar guild knows way more about that stuff than I do. But like, we are not making pyramids. We definitely <laughs> bought all of our pyramids. <laughs> well, that's reassuring. That's reassuring. Yeah. So I guess I, I read that partly because it amuses me. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's, invitation only. Uh, <laughs> partly no, partly to acknowledge that this is not entry level work. Yes. That also this, true. this yeah. is work that requires skill and that if you do not have the skill going in, you need to probably be willing to cultivate the skills mm -hmm. within mm -hmm. yourself and do a lot of learning and there's a steep yeah. learning curve if nothing else a ton of intentionality and yeah. a respect for the job not just mm -hmm. sort of yeah being hackneyed about it yeah. willingness to take some feedback mm -hmm. as you're True. learning <laughs> yeah yes so 
that's all I got. This is, like I said, part one of the multi-part discussion on the beauty and godly work of the Altar Guild. And hopefully we'll learn more in the future and also help me through this discernment process of finding out whether it's something that I'm gifted for and whether I should consider doing even if I turn out not to be gifted for it, which is actually looking a little more likely at this point. (laughs) Yes. Okay. I'm looking forward to the rest of the parts of this series. It'll be super fun. I don't know when they'll be, so don't like hold your breath. Yeah. Anything, it'll be when when I... Yeah, next week, ladies. In the <laughs> of time, there will be match. more of this conversation <laughs> coming. At some point, it will happen. We would love to know, though, ladies, if you're part of an altar guild yeah. or your thoughts about altar guild. Come out of the sacristy and tell us your stories. <laughs> <laughs> You can do that in our Facebook group, the Lutheran Ladies Lounge. You can also tag us on Instagram at Lutheran Ladies Lounge. Follow us there. We have extra content on our Instagram that doesn't always make it into the Facebook group. So follow us there as well. You can also sign up for our e-newsletter in the show notes for this episode, or you can send us an email, lutheranladies at kfuo.org, and we'll get you signed up for that e-newsletter. You can find all of our podcasts at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge or on your favorite podcasting app or on the KFUO radio app. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. <laughs> I'm Brie. I was holding my breath. <laughs> she said, don't hold your breath. So I was seeing if, how long I could go. <laughs> Sorry. I, whew, I guess that leaves me. I'm still anything but Alter Guild. Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave a review for us, too. If you love the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast, consider financially supporting our producer, KFUO Radio, so we can keep doing what we do. Find out how at kfuo.org give.